We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey there. We at Blue Wire wanted to thank you for your continued support of this podcast. With over 90 podcasts across our network, we are committed to bringing you great content to fill that sport-shaped hole in your heart. To find more Blue Wire pods, search for us on iTunes or check out bluewirepods.com. And remember, one day sports will return and it will be glorious. Thanks for listening. On to the show. The Timeline is a Blue Wire podcast. And Bledsoe, two for two. Chris on the inbound to Ulis. Up ahead to Booker. Booker turns, fires, got it! I guess I'll go by a lot of ticket. I just felt it. You get that guy. Welcome to the timeline of Phoenix Suns podcast back the second week in a row for the first time in a while uh, with another episode, this time answering questions from Twitter. My name is Mike. I'm here, of course, with Sam. Sam, how are you? I'm great. These are uh, always fun episodes. I always have a lot of fun hearing, uh, sort of lending our ears to the concerns of the, the general public. Yeah, I feel like uh, people feel a little more comfortable just kind of talking about basketball again. Like we're we're at more of a place where well, we can start really cracking open some some of the Suns off season topics, even topics in about the regular season, or even some just random questions from people. Yeah, I think it's two things. I think one, they're kind of eager to get back into that 
um, analytical state, like, like they really want to talk about these topics, but also there's just, you know, with the situation that we're all in right now, this restlessness, <laughs> you know, we still don't have any answers yeah. about when the draft is going to be, when free agency is going to be. Um, the longer that process is prolonged, the more people are just, you know, cling to what we can talk about. We know that the draft is going to happen eventually. We started talking about it last week. We know free agency is going to happen eventually. So, you know, we, we can start addressing some of these concerns now, knowing that that stuff is a given down the road at some point. Yeah, yeah. And, and hopefully, once again, some clarity on whether or not there will be any more basketball soon. It seems like there's some mounting pressure on the league to sort of make a decision. And it sounds like teams are more pushing towards the season ending which, uh, I don't know, it could have some interesting effects on free agency, the, the overall cap. I'm not sure if the cap is locked in for next season or if it'll affect the season afterwards. There's a lot of things to talk about going forward. Before we get into the questions, I do want to tell people about a video that I made uh, for our YouTube channel about Charles Barkley. If you haven't seen it, go check it out. It's called Charles Barkley versus Analytics. It's about... Uh, how Charles Barkley feels about analytics and then looking at his career through an analytical lens using advanced statistics. I think you'll like it if you're a Suns fan uh, because it paints him in a very nice light. Let's just say that. Um, But thank you to everyone who sent in questions for us to answer on this episode. There's a combination of ways to send stuff into us. We didn't include Reddit in this one because Reddit I think we'll do that again later in the future. Uh, we always get a lot of requests through Reddit, and then I yeah. feel bad when we can't hit certain people's questions or we try to breeze through like 10 questions in a minute. So I think we'll do a separate episode just for Reddit at some yeah. point. Yeah, so thank you to everyone who sent us questions on Twitter. We also have our Hot Take Hotline, 530-433-4368 is our phone number. You can call us. 24 hours a day and leave us a voicemail. You can also text us. Some people are sending us funny picture messages. We got a picture of an old lady. That was fun. Uh, and I wanted to answer those questions first because those people went out of their way to contact us using that phone number. We got two text messages and we got one voicemail. Let's talk about our text messages. This one says, if the Suns trade or buy back into the second round, what players should they target? Just to remind everyone. We do not have a second round draft pick because of the Josh Jackson trade, which also included DeAnthony Melton. So that's fun. Um, no second round pick. I have no answer to this because I have not gotten that far in my draft research. Sam, do you have any idea? I am so sorry to whoever asked this, but I have no idea because it really hasn't been a focus for me at all. Uh, given what you were talking about, the Josh Jackson trade. I will say we brought Brandon, who runs Zona Sports on last week. He'll be back on our podcast at some point to help break down more guys who who kind of we could cover that could be taken in the second round for the Suns. And we'll bring on other guests as well before the draft. Yeah. But at this point, I, I really just, I, I don't know. I don't even begin to know who's there in the second round that could be a steal for Phoenix. And I'm kind of, I'm kind of wary of that whole process at this point. You know, you can only take so many... Tyler Ulysses and Davon Reeds and, right, right. and so on before one day you finally say, ah, oh, fuck it, what's the point? But I guess you do, that's the challenge of it, and you have to continue to understand how important that process can be to building championship teams. Here's what I will say. Uh, initially, you, this, guard, this is supposedly like a, a guard-heavy draft where there will be guards that could be good all the way through the second round. I, If I were to pick a player, regardless of the position that they were at, just from an archetype, I would like to have a player that is defensively good. Now, defensively, players who are defensively good usually have a pretty high basketball IQ. They're able to adapt. If you're picking in the second round, it'd be nice to pick a player like that. Now, whether that be a wing or a guard, 
almost doesn't matter for me. I just think in general, the more I think about the draft, the more I realize I'm more attracted to players like that. Players that have uh, high offensive upside, I think just rarely work out late in, in the draft like that, unless they're really, really good shooters. If you can get a really good shooter, get a really good shooter. But uh, in general, I would say look for a good defensive presence. We have a team now that has Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton as their two main stars. If you're building around those guys, you need players that play defense, just period. You just do. And also, that just works in the NBA in general. Um, we got another one that says, rate Kelly Oubre's rap career on a dual threat scale of Kevin Garnett's acting chops to Michael Jordan's baseball prowess, which is a great question, and it came from my brother. Uh, so shout out to him. I love this uh, scale, first of all, between Kevin Garnett's acting chops to Michael Jordan's baseball prowess, because I don't know. I know you've seen Uncut Gems. Uh, yeah, of course. Kevin Garnett's great in that movie. So we know the scale is good to bad. And uh, I'd say it's a little closer to Michael Jordan's baseball prowess. I know there was a point where you had not heard any of Kelly Oubre's songs and he posts them and he deletes them. So sometimes they're only online for like an hour or two. Uh, I put like a small uh, snippet of one at the end of one of our podcast episodes. That might be the only thing that you've heard, right? Yeah, I no, I well, no, no, no. I heard one of his other songs at one point before. I, I guess I haven't checked in a while to see if he deleted them, but I got to one of them early through Twitter because it was posted on Twitter. And I don't know. I mean, he's not bad. He's pretty <laughs> bad, Sam. He's, well, I would. I'll say this. I think my favorite Kelly Oubre related rap track is still coming from Andrew Lezis, um, yeah, who's a friend friend of the podcast, Andrew Lezis. And um, but but that doesn't mean that Kelly is irredeemably bad. I will I will say this, Mike. Do you do you have like a favorite track written by an NBA player all time? I have an mm. obvious choice, but I don't I don't know if you do. And I don't know. If I my mean, there's a popular. Shaq song with no- Notorious B.I.G. on it. So I mean, I, that's, that's almost Im- cheating. That's pretty impressive. Yeah. I, well, here's here's what I'll say. Um, Damian Lillard is better, obviously. I think Dame Dame is good. I mean, he's Dame's a little good. cheesy, but he's good. Uh, well, here's what I'll say about Dame. He's a good rapper. I don't think he's written a good song yet. I hear him all. I'm like, wow, he's talented. And I'm like, I just don't really feel like hearing this song again. Yeah, I mean, it uh, kind of feels like he mails in the same kind of song over and over again. I see, like, he's not a, a real song writer, um, but he writes bars and for sure. I'll say know. this. I don't think that I've heard a NBA player rapper that's worse than Kelly Oubre. <laughs> um... <laughs> I, I just yeah, heard Aaron I Gordon, know. too. Like, I just heard I Aaron know. Gordon, which was not... But, cool. like, if you extend it out, you know, there are these guys who are who are kind of hip-hop, but, like, kind of R&B adjacent. Like, I don't really know what they're doing. But, like, you know, did, like, Tony Parker. Did you hear Tony Parker's okay, music yeah. back in the day? That's a really good point, because that was pretty bad, too. That's really bad. Yeah. That's really bad. <laughs> Ron Artest, on the other hand, is the guy I was going to choose. The champion song after the Lakers' three-peat. <laughs> Look... I don't like the Lakers any more than you guys do, but when that song was put on NBA 2K10 or 2K11, whatever song it was on, the soundtrack, <laughs> and 13-year-old me heard that shit like 8 million <laughs> times. That was so hot. Uh, he's not rapping on it, but it was, it was still, that was pretty good. Yeah, I, I don't know. I just, um, I don't think it's for him. And if it is, he's got to find somebody who's willing to tell him what's good and what's not good, because I think that's the hardest part for rich people is finding people who are honest to them uh, about stuff. And uh, I don't know that anyone is for him yet, but um, maybe he'll come out with a banger at some point though. It's, it's possible, you know, 
Rebecca Black has had a, a glow up. Have you seen her lately? Yeah, I have. <laughs> I mean, I don't really think she has much of a future in the music industry, but, um, but some industry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, some some industry. Let's, Let's get move to on to the next one. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to play voicemail. Here we go. Hey, this has nothing to do with the show or really anything, but it's me and Andrew Lizis, and I don't really have a lot of friends, so if you guys want to download Call of Duty Warzone and we can use games <laughs> sometime, uh, I'm down, so just hit me up. Speaking of Andrew Lizis. Speaking of uh, Andrew Lizis, there he is, the king himself. <laughs> um, I don't play Call of Duty. Neither do I, and I don't want to disappoint the man. Here's what I will say, Andrew. I saw you tweet tonight, if you're if you're out there listening, which I'm sure you are. It's a loyal listener. Um, I, I saw Andrew tweet tonight asking people to compare themselves to um, a pl- their COD skills to an NBA player with a GIF. And he, he compared himself to Chris Middleton, um, saying that he was like a perfect system player, you know, a good compliment to it's someone else, but not, not a true star. You know, an all-star, that's, that's a really good player. Um, I... I'm probably more of an Archie Goodwin. Like, you know, I am shouldn't be on your team in the first place. Don't really know what I'm doing. Uh, and if you have me on your squad, you're going to, it's kind of going to end in disaster. So I would just say to, you know, to Andrew, that's probably not a good idea. You don't really want me on your team. Um, but by all means, anyone out there who wants to go be Andrew's friend, uh, be his friend. He's a great guy. Yeah, I think I'm a first year Gordon Hayward on the Celtics where he just checked in and <laughs> broke his ankle right away. <laughs> <laughs> that's me that's me uh i would not last i'm not i don't play shooters in general so i i, I assume i would be terrible at call of duty i don't, I don't know i've never I'm played sh- it i'm sure you would be i'm sure both of us would be thank you to everyone who used that phone number 530-433-4368 feel free to call us leave us a voicemail text us send us a picture uh send us weird memes whatever you want to do it's all good uh let's get into the questions from twitter we have quite a few i didn't count them but enough for an episode let's say that um i have to start this is nepotism but i have to start with cody hunt because he's contributed to this podcast in the past and he's contributing once again with a great question that he actually asked all of you on twitter as well which is a good question do you think a healthy core of rubio booker bridges uber ayton johnson can make the playoffs next year by adding a solid bench or do the suns need one more starting lineup talent um or do do the suns need more starting lineup talent there are tons of variables here uh the net rating is that sustainable do the young players improve does rubio decline how successful are point book bench lineups things like that uh what do you think sam i'll let you go first on this one there's no first of all thanks cody for the question there's no doubt in my mind the answer to this question it's that uh, well, first of all, just look at kind of where the Western Conference is right now. This is not the Western Conference of five years ago where the Suns won 48 games and missed the playoffs. There was a Grizzlies team, and I think the Grizzlies are the perfect example of this um, because they are the most balanced, kind of versatile team in the NBA that I can currently think of uh, that was on track for the playoffs with only a 500 record. And the way their team is built, if you look at their bench, and I'm, I'm not trying to poke fun specifically at Suns fans for the guys who are on the Grizzlies bench, but guys like DeAnthony Melton... Brandon Clark, uh, Slomo, uh, Anderson, guys who had these terrific net ratings for the Grizzlies and essentially allowed them to blow out other teams' benches consistently. That's what pushed them ahead of the pack and made them a playoff team. So to answer Cody's question, no doubt in my mind, all the Suns need to make the playoffs is a couple of bench players. You just need to find a couple of role players with the right specific skill sets, the right guys that you can kind of optimize their roles um, and take this team to the next level. The next next level after that 
AKA, can the Suns be a 55-win team? Can they be a 60-win contender um, with Booker and Aiton as their best players? That's something that I think there's a lot of room for debate that you could argue. Um, but but no doubt, just making the playoffs, all they need next year is a bench. And they have the cap space to go out and get that bench. They just need to make smart moves. Uh, I'll say two things on this. I think there's two factors that matter a lot in order to actually figure out um, whether or not this could actually work. Uh, one, health. Because if, if these guys all stay healthy, I think that makes a huge difference uh, as far as this team goes. Because I do think that starting lineup... Um, now, out, you you added... Cody added Johnson, Cameron Johnson in there with like sort of the core guys, which is fair. I think he's good. Uh, and he'll be a good bench piece if we're just looking at starting Rubio, Booker, Bridges, Ubre, Ayton. Uh, if they stay healthy, I do think that net rating maybe is a little bit better than you would have expected. It's one of the top in the NBA. And I don't think that's sustainable. I think that would go down a little bit. But I think the other factor is how much better does the bench get? Because the bench, uh, the bench that the Suns currently have is one of the worst in the NBA. If we're looking at going from one of the worst benches in the NBA to being like a positive differential, like a net positive bench, like one of the better benches in the NBA, then yeah, I think they could make the playoffs uh, without upgrading sort of top end talent there if that means some veterans on the bench to actually round it out i think there was some interesting options that have been thrown out there lately and which we'll probably get to at some point in this conversation uh then maybe if that means some like overperforming rookie or second year players like cam johnson makes some sort of a leap and becomes just an absolute knockdown uh you know 12 to 13 point per game player uh, in, in limited minutes or, you know, say Halliburton gets drafted by the Suns and he's just good right off the bat. Uh, you know, that, that, that could be something that could help there as well. But I think ultimately when you're looking at the absolute ceiling for this team, you do have to upgrade the top end talent at some point. I'm not sure exactly what that means. I think there's some options that we're going to talk about today. Um, but you know, it just really depends. I I think that uh, I added something that our friend Zin said, uh, Zen NBA on Twitter. If the Suns replaced or traded one of their current starters with a just below All Star level level player and kept all else equal, can they make the playoffs? Um, what about with an All Star player? Uh, no changes to the bench. I think this is a really interesting question and makes it really difficult to answer because if they if you talk about if they upgraded one of their current starters with a just below All Star level player, are we talking about Devin Booker last season? Because he was just below All Star last season, <laughs> and that's a really fucking good player. Uh, so yeah. it's just there's such there, it's such a hard thing to answer when looking at this because just below All Star, depending on your position, if you're if you're a guard and you're just below All Star, you're probably really good. If you're a center and you're just below All Star, of course we're not talking about replacing DeAndre Ayton here, but uh, that's a just that's just a little bit different of a conversation. Um, so I don't know. I, I'll say this: I love that starting lineup. I'm not sure how good it'll be next season. I think it it really would depend on the bench being like actually good and not just marginally better. And I think you'd have to make a lot of changes to the bench to make it a good bench than than just make it marginally better than last year. So complex the, answer, but on the bench, I agree with you. It, concerning the starting lineup, you say the net rating is going to go down next season, and kind of touching on another one of Cody's questions, like is that just regression to the mean? Is that specifically a guy like Ricky Rubio declining? You know, do, are, do you trust Rubio entering the last two years of this contract now that he's, you know, he's going to be in his 30s? Well, here's what I'll say. I think that we saw 
Although it was a relatively good amount of minutes, it's something, I think, like 150 minutes of that lineup or something like that. It wasn't like a ton of minutes. I just don't think that we saw it against enough teams to really Mm -hmm. know how well it will do against some of the better teams in the West. And I'm not sure uh, if we look at who they played with that starting lineup. I'm not sure. Maybe it was a lot of the better teams, and we actually have a good sample size here. But I'm just sort of erring on the side of caution here and saying that over the course of an entire season, and I know what a lot of people are worried about with this lineup. We had Gerald Bourget on our podcast and, and when this uh, lineup first first started, and I was sort of making the case of, of keeping it for the rest of the season, and we were only starting it for injuries. And you'll remember that his piece, he argued that the size of the lineup makes it less sustainable because of guys like Bridges and Ubre taking uh, a lot of pounding when they're mm-hmm. playing against guys that are a lot bigger than them. And my argument there in a lot of cases is most teams are not, but you look at the Lakers and there are some teams that are big. So I just sort of erring on the side of caution there, I think. Yeah. No. I don't know. Do you think it's sustainable? No, I mean, I'm basically in agreement. I've, I don't think it's uh, exactly sustainable. I, I do have full faith in Ricky Rubio kind of not to... I, I'll put it this way. I don't think there's any one player out of those five who's going to get worse next season. Um, so maybe it's not sustainable throughout an entire year if we only saw it in 150 minutes. But I do still think it's going to be pretty fucking good, especially once you commit um, to Bridges at the four... Or sorry, Bridges at the three and Ubre at the four full-time. All right, let's move on to the next one from Surge on Twitter. And by the way... If I'm pronouncing your name wrong, I'm sorry. <laughs> it's just, just going to happen. Uh, I'm not going to go uh, out of my way to make sure I do because I'm sorry. Just I'll, I'll do my best. Uh, who do you think is the most realistic comp for Mikhail Bridges going forward? I'll let you answer that because I know we have one player that we've talked about a few times. I've said this a million times at this point. I think uh, Shane Battier is a really reasonable. Like I remember when we had Kyle Mann on the podcast and I threw that out there and he was like, well, Shane Battier is one of the smartest team defenders of all time. Like, but but I stand by the comparison because that's kind of what I think yeah. Mikhail Bridges' defensive ceiling is. Now, I will say this. Shane Battier um, is a 38% career three-point shooter. I think we started to see glimpses of Mikhail trending in the right direction this year. Obviously, his form looks better. It looked better towards the end of the season than it did at the beginning. It doesn't mean he's at 38% consistently. 38% is really good. And in Battier's kind of prime years... Um, or not even his prime years, but kind of his twilight years when he was making an impact on winning basketball for the Heat. He was well into the 40s uh, from deep at that point. So hopefully Mikhail gets to that point. But the defensive impact uh, is there. And doing the little things that you don't necessarily see on the stat sheet outside of just getting deflections and steals is also there. Um, so yeah, I, I have a lot of faith in Mikhail to be one of those guys who maybe never makes an all-star team, um, but plays winning basketball and impacts winning basketball for a very long time. I would be surprised if Mikhail Bridges did not win a championship at some point in his career because he's just the type of player that fits in around stars and allows them to be stars, and and, and that's the type of player that wins championships. So Shane Batty is somebody that we've mentioned before. I'll throw out a couple other guys. Uh, one guy that's also won championships, and I know Suns fans may not enjoy this, but Trevor Ariza, when he was trying, is another good example of a player that's kind of like this. And I think it's especially hard with Mikhail Bridges because I think a lot of us still believe in his offensive upside, including me. I think that he still has the potential to be a pretty good offensive player. Mm -hmm. And I think there's just this sort of hitch that he has to get over. And if he can, uh, and that three-point shot goes back to what it was in college, automatically he's better. But as he sort of learns to take advantage of the NBA spacing, which he started to do in his second season, he has the build, the body, the length, 
to be an excellent finisher and to do things, I think, offensively that even Shane Battier wasn't quite yeah. at the level of doing. He's not Andre Robertson, for example. No, like, no, 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 not at all. not and that. I, th- I think he, Shane Battier is realistic, um, but that you know that's accounting for maybe the 40th or 50th or 60th percentile outcome for him. But I think he can he can be even better than that. You know, to throw out another comparison that you've made in the past, not necessarily a better player than Shane Battier, I don't know, but just a different player than Battier is Nick Batum. You've right. talked about comparing Mikhail Bridges to Nick Batum before, and that's because Mikhail uh, is increasingly showing a willingness to put the ball on the floor, but that doesn't mean he's still a team first player, and that impacts his playmaking. And Nick Batum in Portland. Um, and then moving on to Charlotte is a guy who for years and years has been able to average five, six assists per game out of that small forward position, uh, kind of using his length and displaying great court vision. I could see a very similar future uh, for McHale, maybe not necessarily getting all the way up to like six assists per game, but he's already a guy who can give you two or three. And, and in the future, I see no reason why he couldn't, you know, potentially give you four or five as kind of the third or fourth option in an offense. And I think one of the hardest things for um, Mikhail Bridges and making comps for him is if his offense does take a little bit of a leap up and maybe it's not quite at the level or it isn't quite at the level of the obvious guys that are lockdown defenders that became great offensive players like Kawhi Leonard or Paul George, there's not a lot of guys sort of in between there, uh, you know, to make comparisons to like between Shane Battier and Paul George, like who offensively like it's hard to make a comp there he could be sort of a unique player in in that uh, in that respect it's just we haven't really seen him create his own shot so uh, it all depends on what he can do as far as creating his own shot or creating for others there's a weird thing like situation where if he continues to play power forward where he sort of becomes like Boris Diaw it's just they look so drastically yeah. different um and Boris is a really good ball handler at his size i think that's sort of something that um a lot of people who maybe didn't watch him a lot may not know about him. He could really put the ball on the floor and do interesting things with it. Um, you know, Jared, like a supercharged Jared Dudley is another example. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, somebody that's yeah. just really smart that fills in gaps, but I don't know. It's, it's really hard for Mikhail Bridges because we have yet to see what he can and can't do going forward. He's so smart. So I think he will improve. And I think this is the second part of Serge's question. He asked another one. Are you interested? And if so, what would you be willing to give up to acquire Victor Oladipo? Victor Oladipo. There are rumors that the Indiana Pacers cannot afford to keep everyone that they have on their team. Well, they can't. And they already kind of couldn't. Like there's a, There was a chance that they made some trades uh, of their front court guys who, who are already pretty crowded. But now people are starting to look at their backcourt and saying maybe they, they get rid of one of these guys, Oladipo being a guy who came off a really intense and severe leg injury and now will likely want a lot of money on his next contract, which would end when he turns 33 years old. Um, I have a lot of thoughts on this, but Sam, I'll let you go first on this one. What do you think? Yeah, it's not that I'm against getting Victor Oladipo. First of all, the, the background context here, in case you didn't watch Oladipo this year, he only played 13 games. He wasn't good. I'm not faulting him at all. I'm just stating that as a fact that the Pacers were 39 and 26 going into this suspended season. Um, All thanks to pretty much everyone besides Victor Oladipo. You know, he didn't help them win any of those games as good as he was a couple of years ago. Um, So, you know, as we go in with that context now, he's going to be a free agent 
next, not this upcoming offseason, but next offseason. So he's got one more season to prove himself, but a free agent of uh, kind of in contrast to where we're talking about this free agent class is one of the weakest we've seen in many, many years. Next year's free agent class is going to be one of the strongest we've seen in many, many years. So I think there's an argument here that um, should the Suns be interested in, in acquiring a guy who's a former all-star like Victor Oladipo, they should certainly have some level of interest in that. But if you really believe in Oladipo at this point, as he ages a little bit, being three years older than Kelly Oubre, um, as an upgrade over Kelly Oubre, uh, well, you do have to consider if maybe this is a situation where kind of there's going to be so many players in free agency next year that Oladipo is not going to be the guy who rises to, to the cream of the crop and is going to be a guy who's there for you. He's kind of sitting there waiting for you to offer him a contract. Because let me just let me just read off some of the names that are going to be available in free agents um, in the free agent class of 2021. These are all guys who are like, you know, pretty good starter quality at a minimum. Starting off with the unrestricted free agents, you've got Anthony Davis, Giannis, Rudy Gobert, DeMar DeRozan, Stephen Adams, Kyle Lowry, Evan Fournier, Victor Oladipo, our guy Kelly Oubre, Otto Porter, uh, Spencer Dinwiddie, Kawhi Leonard, and Paul George both have the ability to opt out of a player option. LeBron James and Chris Paul both have the opportunity to opt out of a player option. There's a restricted free agent class of guys whose rookie contract deals will be expiring. That includes Alonzo Ball, uh, Jason Tatum, Jonathan Isaac, Darren Fox, Laurie Markkinen, Markel Fultz, Donovan Mitchell, John Collins, and a bunch of other guys from what we know at this point to be looking like a pretty successful draft class. So maybe a couple of names that could be had there as well. Uh, so, you know, kind of just to reiterate that point, I think Oladipo, there's a very good chance that he slides down there and you actually have a chance if you're Phoenix to acquire a former all-star uh, in a way that maybe you're not always able to. Like, you know, I think you could see it kind of as like a, a parallel to a Penny Hardaway type acquisition for Phoenix in 2021. So I'm all in <laughs> on Victor Oladipo. And, and, it, and I think that you are right to be concerned because he was not uh, great when he came back from injury as far as um, statistically. But I think that a 13-game sample size for someone who came back, it, it was basically like a year and a half that he was out of the NBA. A long time. Uh, that's not really fair to judge him off of in any way. I, I think that the the age is the right thing to be concerned with. But I think that it's important to point out that say he does get back to where he was, or at least like 95% back to where he was before he was injured, there literally is not a better fit on this team than that because he's an excellent, excellent perimeter defender uh, next to Devin Booker and would make up for a lot of Devin Booker's flaws in that uh, area. I mean, at his peak, we'll talk about it now. Maybe he can still reach a peak that's higher than this, but he had 23 points per game. This is right after he was traded to Indiana. 23 points per game. Uh, he was averaging 4.3 assists, so not a ton of assists. 5.2 rebounds, which is a lot for his position. 2.4 steals per game, which is nuts. Uh, that's like a very, very high amount. This guy is an absolute killer. I've seen Victor Oladipo in person a few times, and I can tell you just watching what he does defensively, watching what he did specifically to Devin Booker defensively was a sight to behold. He just shadowed him everywhere on the court, and I saw him the season he was injured. I was absolutely blown away by the way that he played. A perfect fit. And here's why I would say that I'm all in on him, because I think there are other players that are available that obviously would be great fits on this team as well. If he becomes available 
on the trade market. You have the ability of trading pieces for him. I know Indiana was interested in Ricky Rubio before they got Malcolm Brogdon. It's possible that that's not something that they're interested in anymore. Ricky Rubio is definitely going to be less expensive than uh, Victor Oladipo going forward. If they wanted to pair Malcolm Brogdon next to Ricky Rubio, first of all, an excellent defensive backcourt. Not sure that's the type of thing that they want to do going forward, but that wouldn't be that bad of a team. If they're still interested in him, I think that's an obvious move. If they're interested in Kelly Oubre, which is possible, I think Kelly Oubre expects a lot of money as well. So I'm not sure that that's something that they're interested in going forward, but maybe they're more willing to pay somebody in that position. And I still would be in on that because I think this is, you have Mikhail Bridges, right? You have Cameron Johnson already. This is why you have guys like that because if something like this becomes available, you got to make a move. And I just think that in free agency, there's a chance that a lot of these guys do not want to play for the Suns. If you have a chance to get a guy like Victor Oladipo on the team already, and then you have that advantage going forward into free agency, you have to make that kind of move. And I know it's a risk, but these are the types of risks that the Suns have to take, I think, going forward. These are the type of risks that McDonough wouldn't make that I think he probably should have. Yeah, I agree with all that. And we've talked about uh, the way that McDonough kind of paralyzed this team in the past with with his passivity right and his his inability to take those risks it's just worrisome to me because you know on the chance at Oladipo you trade for him and then he doesn't want to come back at the end of the year and you've lost him you've probably lost I think you know if we look at the other types of players that the Pacers are going to want in this trade I think they're going to want Mikhail Bridges and Cam Johnson because they're going to want inexpensive young players that can kind of fuel their core but also help them win instantly. If you look at the type of things that that the Pacers need, we just talked about at length in this episode how Mikhail Bridges is uh, his impact on winning basketball, how he's a player you can just slot into any defensive system. And I think specifically for Indiana, if they're giving up Oladipo, Mikhail Bridges is a guy who can make up for a lot of a lot of the things that their defense would lose in that transaction instantly on top of that they're they attempt the fewest amount of threes of any team in the league of course they're going to want a sharpshooter like cam johnson i just think it's a lot of risk there to to give up you know two of your best young wings and maybe they're going to want first round picks as well and then maybe it turns out that oladipo isn't better than kelly Oubre post injury after all and then maybe it turns out that he doesn't want to play in phoenix after all and i think you know, I, I'll, I'll put it like this. I wouldn't fault James Jones for having the balls to make this move because I would be a hypocrite if I did after how much I've criticized McDonough. Um, I think I'd be a hypocrite if I criticized him for making any drastic move. Um, but I do think there's a lot of potential for it to backfire and, you know, a lot of potential for people to turn on James Jones if it did go wrong. And Oladipo is a 14 point per game, you know, wing shooting 40% from the field for the rest of his career, which is totally possible. There are three players I would consider untradeable on this team. Devin Booker, DeAndre, and Mikhail Bridges. If you can get Victor Oladipo without trading any of those three guys, I would do it. I think you can build a team around a core of those four guys together, and uh, I, I would love to watch that team. If DeAndre Ayton continues to improve defensively, you have Victor Oladipo, who could be one of the best perimeter defenders in the NBA. And then you have Mikhail Bridges, who, as we talked about, could be one of the smartest defenders in the NBA period with the longest arms. That's a fascinating team, I think. So I would do it. And I'm kind of obsessed with the idea. I never thought he would be available. I've I've talked about it it on Reddit in the past, how perfect he would be as a fit next to Devin Booker. I just never thought it would happen. So obviously something we're going to monitor going forward, see if that's actually true. It probably isn't. It seems like one of those things that just comes up in the offseason and then nobody talks about again in the future. (laughs) 
Yeah. Uh, it's, it's the new Blake Griffin, maybe. Yeah, exactly. Definitely um, had enough of those conversations. With currently no NBA, NHL, or MLB, you might think there's nothing to bet on. Well, you'd be wrong. Our exclusive partner, Bet Online, still has hundreds of events, games, and props to wager on. From their online casino to poker and blackjack, they're bringing Vegas to you. Missing the NFL? No problem. Bet Online has live, daily Madden NFL 20 simulations you can bet on. You can still bet on Survivor, Big Brother, American Idol, stock prices, and even the Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Contest. All open 24 hours a day and all online. Use promo code BLUEWIRE to join today and receive your new welcome bonus. Bet online, your online wagering solution. Guys, looking to last longer and go a few extra rounds? Get BlueChew.com. BlueChew.com has the first ever chewable that brings your performance in the bedroom to another level. They've got the same active ingredients that are in Viagra and Cialis, so you know they work. And since they're chewable, they work faster. You can take them anytime, day or night, even on a full stomach. Plus, you don't need to go to the doctor's office or spend time waiting in the pharmacy line. Blue Chew's online physician is free of cost, and once approved, your order ships straight to your door in discreet packaging. Here's a great deal for you guys. Visit BlueChew.com and get your first order free when you use the promo code BLUEWIRE. Just pay $5 shipping. Again, that's B-L-U-E-C-H-E-W.com. Promo code BLUEWIRE. Okay, next question from a friend of ours, Nick Stick, who sent me some memes on our Hot Take Hotline as well. <laughs> Thanks, um, he said, I'm curious how much faster you think Steve Nash would have been if he had shaved his head pregame, one mile per hour, five miles per hour. Um, I have some thoughts. I'll, I'll just go over my thoughts real quick. Uh, I think that it's possible he would have been slightly faster had he shaved his head uh, before every game. Uh, it's also possible maybe he got a little like downforce from the wind when he was running and actually the hair made him like a spoiler on a car, made him a little faster. But here's what I will say. Even if his top speed, like top, top, top speed, was just a little, little bit faster uh, from his hair being shaved, I think that it would not have affected his overall quickness. And with Steve Nash, although he was fast when he was running up and down the court, I think his biggest skill was his quickness and his lateral quickness. And I don't think it would have affected that either way. So I don't think shaving his head would have been worth it. What do you think? Well, I think at the peak of Nash in his MVP years, when he had his, his hair was at its longest... I think there is an argument to be made. It's like the Alfred Payton effect, right? Like just getting that, getting those bangs out of your eyes. Maybe it wouldn't help his uh, quickness or it wouldn't help his speed, but it has to help his court vision a little bit, right? Like maybe the only reason Nash never eclipsed guys like John Stockton in the assist leaderboards is because he didn't shave his head. And I oh. think, uh, I don't know, I would thank Nick for bringing this up because frankly, it's something I never thought about, but but there's all sorts of questions to it. Too. You know, there are potential downsides. Maybe he'd lose his balance. You know, you play your whole career with this long hair and then suddenly you shave it all off. Maybe you wouldn't have any balance anymore. Well, maybe, maybe he would lose adversely his strength. Affect. Maybe he would lose. <laughs> He's Samson now. Yeah. He would lose his strength. It's possible. It's, you know, it's not not possible. Uh, I think that having said all of this, none of it is worth it. It'd be weird to see him now buzz cut or like a nice fade. Okay. Military style Nash. Fine. Yeah, fine. I don't, I don't know if I'm into that. 
I don't want to see skinhead Steve Nash running up and down the court, though. I do not want to see that. I'd rather see the long-haired, floppy, sweaty, gross-haired Steve Nash on the court that we got to see uh, than, than some sort of weird-looking skinhead running up and down the court. Now, if you have to shave your head because you're going bald and you're white, I'm not attacking you. Uh, remember when the remember when the Suns were protesting immigration laws in Arizona by wearing their low Suns jersey? That's right. You're telling me you don't want to see skinhead Steve Nash? No. Donning that jersey. <laughs> Can you imagine? That, that would be awful. That would be awful. Actually, maybe the Patriots would offer him a contract, though. Ooh. <laughs> okay. Next question. Mike Nilsson. <laughs> Forgetting specific prospects. Done. Uh, if you were a GM for the draft, would you prioritize higher upside with more potential to bust or lower ceiling but higher likelihood of being a decent role player? I'll let you go first on this one, Sam. I have some thoughts, obviously, but go ahead. You are a gentleman, sir. I think my answer to this question uh, would have been substantially different had you asked me last November during Aiton's suspension, at my height of when I was mad at DeAndre Aiton and thought that he had let us down. Um, Now that we actually saw Aiton in action for 30 games, I'm banking on him being a future all-star. And so my answer to you, Mike, is I think we're at the point where we can basically go with a lower ceiling, and I think that's James Jones' strategy, and, and I'm on board with that. Um, because if if you theoretically have two future all-stars in place, Devin Booker made the all-star game this year, Dev, um, DeAndre Ayton, I think, shows more potential as a defensive anchor than ever before, and hopefully the offense comes along in year three. Uh, we're kind of at the point where you can't risk further upsetting those core guys, and you just you just need to get to 500. Next year, this year, the expectation was 35 wins. Next year, the expectation, assuming full health, uh, needs to be 500, otherwise... Uh, you know, I, I don't know. We're just constantly going to have these battles where we have to set these <laughs> expectations and say the Suns need to win X many games or Devin Booker is going to leave us. And I think that's reasonable at this point because he's going to be uh, coming closer and closer each year to the end of his max deal. Uh, here's what I'll say about this. Um, it's entirely dependent on where you're picking in the draft, I think. If you're picking top three picks, I think you go for higher upside with more potential to bust. And you can do that sort of more confidently now that you have Devin Booker and DeAndre and on the team, uh, you take a bigger swing there. Uh, if you're picking a little lower, I think you try and find the best possible fit and role player, uh, when the talent levels sort of even out a little bit. Um, you know, you can take some swings later in the draft, but you know, most of the time you're not, you, most of the time you're, you're picking, trying to identify the best, talent and fit with the team that you have so if they're picking 10th maybe you go lower ceiling higher likelihood of being a decent role player if you aka mikhail bridges right if you're picking first or vassell as we talked about um mm-hmm. if you're picking first through fourth which the suns can jump all the way to the fourth first to the fourth pick i think then you look at potentially um picking a higher upside player uh, having said all that i will say regardless of where the pick lands i think this is the type of draft where you do shop the pick now one thing i will say I don't think this draft is as bad as people are saying. Now, I'm obviously I'm sort of in a learning phase about the draft, but I have been learning about it a lot more in the last few weeks. Obviously, we talked about it last week, and I think I've been learning about it a lot even since then. And I think that you can actually find pretty good players that you can pay relatively low amounts of money, which is a nice thing to have when you're trying to uh, retain decent cap space going forward. So I don't think it's as bad as a lot of people are saying it is. Uh, I think you can find good players. Maybe there's just not a lot of top, top, top end talent in this draft. Uh, so I wouldn't be mad if they didn't trade the pick. I think some people, we've gotten some comments on YouTube, particularly where people are saying, trade this pick, it's draft is terrible. 
Uh, I don't necessarily agree with that. I think that it just depends on where you pick specifically for this question. Uh, any other thoughts, Sam? Yeah, I mean, again, I'm not an expert on the draft either, but I think I think just saying trade the pick is it shows a little bit of a shallow understanding of what the experts are saying about this draft. I mean, if, you, if you've scouted personally all 100 or 150 of these prospects and, and that's your opinion, then I'm not telling you that it's the wrong opinion necessarily. You're entitled to that opinion. But uh, I think what the experts are saying about this draft is there's not a Zion, there's not a Luka, but there is talent in in the 10 to 30 range. You know, there is legitimate depth to this draft that we're potentially going to see. And so if the Suns end up with the 10th pick, I think they've got plenty of opportunities to add a guy who can help them win uh, sooner rather than later. And I think that aligns with exactly what James Jones is trying to do anyway. Yeah, and I think what people who say stuff like that never mention is that the the value of trading the pick is also very low when the draft is bad. So, I mean, that's just, what are you getting? Uh, Another question from Nick Stick. Where would you rank Ricky Rubio among league point guards? How many guys at that position would you take over him? I didn't like. I didn't think too, too, too hard about this, and I'm not going to because I don't really want to think about that. Uh, I would (laughs) think just an initial first thought around twentieth is probably yeah. about where I would put him when he's I thought, good. He's really good. And you know, when he's bad, he's pretty bad. You know, he's just, pretty bad. Yeah. Um, but he's really good. I mean, it, he, he is a fine wine. He just keeps getting better. Um, I good did defensive post, player, you know, good defensive player. I did post on Twitter the other day that his pipe, um, advanced stat alert, um, was the best it's been in a few years. Like there is, there is legitimate reason to be, uh, optimistic about Ricky Rubio's career arc, that he's going to be one of those players who's fine for the next few years. And I think it's encouraging that he didn't have to bear too too many minutes this season either. Um, but speaking specifically on where he ranks among other league point guards, so I went through every starting point guard in the league, obviously, because you know I had to put effort into answering these questions. <laughs> Here's the list of guys I came up with, unlike my co-host. Here's the list of guys <laughs> I came up with who I think are comfortable, and, and Mike, please tell me if you think I'm wrong on any of these, but but who I personally think are worse than Ricky Rubio. I came up with Colin Sexton, DeJounte Murray, yeah, yeah. Lonzo Ball, That that's close, but but I'm saying Rubio's better than Lonzo Ball. I think Mike, for this current season, Rubio is better. I think there's a conversation about, obviously, Lonzo Ball potentially surpassing Okay, him. and I'm, gl- I'm glad you brought that up, because because all we're dealing with right now is who is currently better. Yeah. But but the second part of it was who's going to be better in the future. So it's a good thing you brought that up. But so we got Sexton, Murray, Lonzo, Mike Conley, Derek Rose, Goran Dragic, Patrick Beverly, Chris Dunn, Alfred Payton, Markel Fultz, neck and neck with Terry Rozier. That's arguable. Terry Rozier, we chat on him a lot last offseason. He was surprisingly kind of good. And then I even said maybe John Wall, like maybe. Hmm. Maybe I mean yeah. I don't. Maybe that's my biases against no, John Wall. I kind of get that. I kind of get that. His injury history, his contract, but but I think maybe there's a good argument for there, and and you can maybe even argue a couple more too. But that right there puts him as roughly the twentieth best starting point guard in the league, which is right where you said he would be, Mike. And I think there's an argument to get him up to as high as like sixteenth or seventeenth if you're a little bit more of a homer um, and and want to take him over some of these other guys. So I don't know, like that's where he is right now. But a lot of those guys, you know, would you rather have Ricky Rubio or Lonzo Ball for the next three years? I think most Suns fans would probably say Lonzo Ball because Lonzo Ball has a, a pretty good-looking future. There are even other guys in that list like Markel Fultz. Markel Fultz has a pretty yeah. um, pretty solid future, I think. I think he's starting to put things together down in Orlando. Yeah. Um, or DeJounte Murray is another prospect who has a solid ceiling. So, I don't know. He's probably 20th in terms of talent right now. He's probably closer to, like, 25th 
uh, when you take into account long-term fit. Where would you rank Dennis Schroeder in that list? Would you rank him better uh, or worse? Than Rubio? Yeah. For sure, worse. For sure. I think that you might want to take a look at some advanced stats on that. Just, I'd just be curious as to what you think because it's actually kind of interesting the way How that... does Schroeder... So I try not to be... Oh, well, yeah, Schroeder really shot the fuck out of the ball this year, didn't he? Yeah. I mean, I, <laughs> I and he think... He shot a lot. And it's his efficiency was kind of fascinating because... It's obviously the most efficient that he's been throughout his career. It is. And, and admittedly, he was playing against a lot of backup lineups, but also not. He was closing a lot of games with Chris Paul, which I think is like an efficiency boost. Uh, Chris Paul has that dimer gold badge, if you will. Uh, but also, the way that Schroeder was playing is the, he would come around screens and shoot a lot of Devin Booker-type shots, uh, sort of mid-range shots. And to, to maintain that level of efficiency while shooting some of the most difficult shots in the game, I think was really impressive, and, and his three point shooting went up a lot. Uh, also, defensively, I think he did a good job because, in a lot of cases, he was defending two guards. And uh, I, I just think there's this weird chance where Schroeder actually surpasses Ricky Rubio going forward. You know, this is something that I was advocating, obviously, for trading for Schroeder. And I just think he could end up being a lot better than a lot of people expected. Not maybe not all star level, but. Pretty good, I, I think. And uh, I know a lot, there's a lot of people probably listening to this thinking that I'm nuts. Take a look at some of those stats. It's, I don't know. It's I mean, look, the stats thing. are good. 19 points, 4 assists per game, but but kind of the and, – and really good shooting percentages this year. But you got you to gotta think about what Rubio specifically did for the Suns this year. I mean, yeah. he optimized the hell out of the Suns lineups. Like and he's a leader. The, the, he's a leader. not. <laughs> The perfect backcourt in today's NBA, ideally, right? You want two guys who are elite scorers and two guys who are elite playmakers. You want your point guard to be able to put the ball on the floor and score. And you want your shooting guard to be able to basically be a combo guard and also playmake for others. Unfortunately for the Suns, it's looking very unlikely that they have any way of, of getting that. Like, very few backcourts are able to achieve that. So with Ricky Rubio, you don't have an elite score. You do have the elite playmaking. And with Schroeder, if he was going to be supposedly Devin Booker's backcourt partner, uh, it's the exact opposite problem. So I think it's kind of just one of those things where we we have to remain cognizant of what Rubio's ceiling is. He's not falling off in his play yet. He's good, um, but he's not good enough. He's good enough to elevate the play of his teammates, but he's not good enough to exactly elevate the ceiling of this team to a true contender. What the Suns really need is, I think, something that they're only going to be able to find either through the draft or free agency, which is you just need to get a third good guard on that team. Right now, it doesn't have one. And I don't really, you know, it'd be awesome, for instance, if Schroeder ideally was like the sixth man of the Suns. That would be fucking awesome. Yeah, but I don't think he wants that. I think that. realistically, he's he doesn't want that. He's playing too good for that now. No, he's playing too good for that. So what you need to find, and, and this is really hard, but you need to try to find it, is that sweet spot. You know, that, that thing that a couple weeks ago when we were talking about the 2015 Suns or the 2014, no, the 2015 Suns, the thing that they weren't able to find, right. that's the thing that they need to find again, is you need to find a guy who's okay with coming off the bench, getting his 25 minutes a game, only averaging like 13 to 15 points per game, but playing that really important role in making sure the offense doesn't fall off a cliff when your actual good players are on. But then on the flip side, a guy who's not playing so well or a guy who's not so young that he's about to demand like a big contract, a, a big raise, or, or a big increase in role, anything that would kind of upset the chemistry. It's really hard to find players like that in the NBA, but you can do it. Yeah, I, I started my search for that, and I'm sure you're looking at that too because you're looking at free agents now as well. Um, Jeff Alec Teague, Burks Je would have been that guy. Alec Burks. Jeff Teague was an interesting name that, that sort of came up, and it came up in the Hollinger, Mizell piece in The Athletic. And I just can't. 
like he was so bad in Atlanta and it's possible he's better than he was in Atlanta. It's just, it's hard to find guys that would be, it's just a difficult position to fill when you're trying to improve dramatically. Another name they brought up that I thought was actually kind of interesting is Michael Carter Williams, who actually started playing Whoa. relatively well towards the end of the season, this last season. And I think if you look at the numbers, which I, of course I did, it's actually kind of interesting, but that's a conversation I think for, for the future. I think we can talk a lot about that and actually maybe I should write that down <laughs> so we can talk about that more in the future, but um, let's move on. Cause we got a lot more still. This guy's name is right in Bernie 2020. Um, so <laughs> shout out to him and his, uh, never mind. I won't read his at, uh, who <laughs> is good enough that you'd rather draft them than trade the pick. Um, there's, there's quite a few players. I think the value of trading the pick is, as I said, if the draft is not considered to be great, it's not that high. And I just think this question is really hard to answer without throwing specific names in there and knowing where the pick is. I think that I probably would be more likely to trade this pick if the Suns did end up in the top four. Is that a weird thing to say? Than if, if it ended up more closer to the 10th pick? No, uh, I don't think that's unreasonable at all. There's there is one question I think roughly along the lines of that we'll get to of like what would you do if the Suns got the first pick? Yeah, then I'd hard. be really inclined to trade it because I'm not interested in, in taking the guys who are available at one for the Suns situation specifically. Yeah, they they make ten eleven million if you get the first pick now. So yeah, you uh, want to spend twelve million dollars on Anthony Edwards to shoot twenty five percent from you know on step back threes in year one? Be my guess, but not, I don't. I don't think that does anything to to kind of make Devin Booker less frustrated. Do you have any more specific answer than than that for this one? No, I mean, I think we already covered it. I mean, I really like Vassell. We've talked about him. I really like Halliburton. And I think that's consistent with the logic that I was giving earlier in this episode, too, is I like guys who can come in and instantly contribute. Like Halliburton could potentially be that third guard type of player. I think he's got a lot of problems with the self-creation. So he's a different type of player. He's not a Dennis Schroeder, but he's a Ricky Rubio clone to come off your bench and, and kind of run your unit the right way. So if you could just find a way to get one score at positions two through five, who you could pair with Halliburton off the bench, I think that could be a potent combo. Plus he's so long, he's going to play the passing lanes. He's going to fit in nicely with, with Kelly Oubre and Mikhail Bridges. Um, Vassell as a three and D guy does all the right stuff. Killian Hayes, I think, uh, you'd have to you'd have to be closer into the top five to actually have a chance at killing Hayes, but he's my favorite of um of I guess all the point guard prospects not yeah named, I might consider him if I got the number one pick not named Lamelo Ball I was gonna say yeah I mean Hayes or it's probably Hayes or Ball number one I definitely consider them um, but I'd also consider trading depending on what's out there. All right, Stu Ray Wallace said, if we get the top pick and the Wizards are trying to get off John Wall, would you trade the first pick in Rubio for John Wall? Now I just want to point out that you'd have to trade a lot more still because John Wall makes like $100,000 million. <laughs> and that's a really tough contract. So just contract alone, I would say no. Uh, it's just not worth it. And I just said Ricky Rubio is better than John Wall, and I yeah. stand by that. Yeah, and I think that's a fair take, especially when you're factoring in the injury uh, history and also that picture of him at Team USA camp. <laughs> okay, but... <laughs> Yeah, that's a good point. T- tell me if tell me if this is ridiculous. Is this was this the question I was just referring to, or was there another one mentioning the top pick? Uh, let's see. Uh, I, there is another one. Okay, so I won't okay. jump the gun. I just cool. want to ask. Like, we'll get there. Well, let's just jump there. Let's jump there right now. All right. If, I mean, if you had the first pick, is I don't well. Know. Let me is read this... the question. Let me read the question. This is from Rich, aka Tuna. I'm guessing this is the one you're referring to. If the Suns uh, get the first overall draft pick. 
would you pra- package and trade it for a star with additional future first round picks or would you draft LaMelo Ball for example yeah well I, dra- I would consider drafting LaMelo Ball depending on who's out there so like would you trade the first overall pick for Victor Oladipo Ubre plus first pick for Oladipo if yes. that if that was all the trade was yes okay yeah I'd probably do that well fuck I think I'd do <laughs> I think I'd do that that's hard man what it, I mean, he could always leave you. Here's if we're talking about, you know, ideally, I think the craziest thing you could say is there any possible chance that the Suns have a chance if they got the first overall pick? I think my first call, and I, I just can't decide if I think they're going to laugh at me on the other side of the phone, but your first call has to be to Portland, right? Yeah. 100%, your, first yes. call, your first call is to Portland, and you're, you're saying, look, you guys tried your best. You made it to the Western Conference Finals. Damian Lillard and, and CJ McCollum were both healthy this year, and you were still only on pace for 35 wins. Damian Lillard is locked into a Supermax contract where he's going to be making 40 to $50 million over the next several years into his early to mid-30s. We're willing to take the risk of, of kind of paying him in his slightly after-prime years, and we're going to give you a fresh start by giving you the first overall pick, plus you can have Mikhail Bridges, Cam Johnson, right. essentially whoever you want. Yep. But we get Lillard and Booker and Aiton. Yes. Do they consider it at this point, or are they still going to be stubborn? And, and are are they going to win thirty five games with Lillard and McCollum for the next several they, years? They were pretty bad, um, so you know you got to wonder if they would actually consider it. And I think that at that point, you're you're playing back channels. You're you're calling uh, the agents for Dam- Damian Lillard, obviously, and you're saying, "Hey, Lillard, do you want to play for the Suns? Play with Devin Booker and get out of that situation now." Uh, and then you'd have to get him on your side because he'd have to put the pressure on the management to actually make that move in order for them, I think, to actually do it. Um, but, yeah, that's interesting. I, I don't know. First of all, I would say that, no, they probably wouldn't do it because I think that uh, he's so entertaining and there's 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 a monetary value in, in being entertaining, and that means selling out games, which we'll see how that looks going forward in the future. But... Uh, that's fascinating. I know earlier I said there were three untradeable players, but for Damian Lillard, there's two. Uh, you know, you you can put Mikhail Bridges in that one. Because uh, I mean, Lillard just, and Booker is is instantly like one of the best back. It's up there with the best backcourts of all time. Of all time, yeah, hundred you know? percent. So yeah. it's yeah. it's exactly yeah. what I was talking about. It's two guys who can score at will and play make for others. Yeah. Um, it's it would be a nightmare for and teams stretching to guard. defenses out the way that Lillard does. I mean offensively it's not hard to figure out and i an think offense with lillard a booker and eight that's ridiculous i love eventually eventually you would have to stomach the idea of paying like a 35 year old lillard 50 million dollars oh yeah but i think it. i think you take you do it you take the chance that in 100%. those first two or three years ayton's gonna figure it out like lillard's still gonna be good enough and ayton's gonna figure it out towards the early end of his career enough that the three of them together it's it works shooting doesn't age it just doesn't the guys stay good shooters until they're old. I mean, like at the very least, he'll be a pretty valuable offensive piece until he's 35. I think that's that's a valuable thing. Uh, that's fascinating. And yes, they should absolutely make that call. And I don't know if what they could do to convince them. You'd but the Oladipo idea is first as well. The Oladipo idea is definitely more realistic. Yeah, more realistic, and I think kind of fascinating too. And and maybe even weirdly. A better fit? No, I can't say that. Damian Lillard is too good. I think he's almost underrated at this point, and people still love him. So that's fascinating. Um, so I think both of us would consider drafting Lamelo Ball with the first pick to answer the no the doubt last, last no part doubt. of that one. But 
That's fascinating. Okay. Uh, Young Bread said, where's the Coach Carter podcast, you cowards? <laughs> uh, confession, I've never seen that movie. No. Uh, so. Really? Maybe we should watch it. I've never movie? seen a bunch of basketball movies. Um, Have you seen Space Jam? Yes, I've seen Space Jam. <laughs> Yes, I've seen okay. Space Jam. And then the last part of his question, how many times has Sam signed Shaq Harris into a contract in 2K? Oh, so many times. Yeah, yeah, I forgot <laughs> he asked this. Um, I have a 2K My League where the Suns have Shaq Harrison and they still have uh, DeAnthony Melton uh, and Mikhail Bridges and Kelly Oubre and then they draft Devin Vassell and trade for Jonathan Isaac. And oh, we don't shoot the, the ball. Defense. <laughs> we don't shoot the ball very well. But uh, we we average like twenty steals per game, and and it's like it's like eighties or sorry not eighties, yeah. it's like nineties style basketball. You know, final scores yeah. of like eighty to seventy three. Just and Devin I love Booker it. isoing. I love it. It's Devin Booker. Like it. It's Devin Booker, DeAndre Ayton, pick and roll. I At don't that remember point, you how you play I, like the Rockets. Like you just you just let Devin Booker figure it out and just let him. And then and then like if he seconds. happens to get injured, then I have no idea what I would do on the team without him. But but it works. It's two K, so it works. <laughs> you tank. All right, yeah. John Voida asks, which would you rather be, a knight, a pirate, or a ninja? This is easy, easy, easy for me. What do you think? Uh, it's not easy, so I'm more curious what you think. Oh, 100% a ninja, because a ninja can operate on their own. A knight serves a king, and when you serve a king, it's possible you serve a mad king, which is a disaster. And when you're a pirate, you're a criminal, which is means a few things. If you're if you're a classic pirate, you're plundering. That means you're stealing from people. You're killing people who are innocent. And uh, there's a little bit more of a seedy side of a pirate that I'm not willing to go to. Uh, so if you're a knight, you're basically like a weird slave for a king. Uh, if you're a pirate, you're doing things that I, I have to draw the line somewhere. If you're a ninja... You can operate in the shadows in a way that's kind of fascinating and fun. You're Batman, basically. You're, Batman's a ninja, so obviously I would choose ninja. I guess. I don't know. First of all, props to, to John Voida for all of his work on Bright Side of the Sun recently. He's pumping out a lot of content. I don't know. I mean, like, as I th- like a pirate, I guess, is my answer. I don't know. <laughs> I, I think you're saying, like, oh, you could work for a, 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 a bad king, right, and go out and be killed or whatever, but, like, yeah. You know, let, let's put this in the under the 2020 coronavirus scope for a second and, and think about it. Like as a knight, you're probably most likely to die the Black Death. As a as a as a pirate, you're probably most likely to die of smallpox. I mean, it depends what sea you're sailing. But what are you most likely to die of as a ninja? Old age. Really? <laughs> yeah, maybe it is a ninja. Don't I don't know, seen. dude. You don't get seen. You live yeah, in the so shadows. Maybe, People maybe don't it's, know you're there. Maybe my you're an answer assassin. is. A, I'm pretty ignorant of ninja lore, admittedly, but maybe my answer is ninja. Here's the thing. I never went through a knight phase as a kid, but I went yeah, through no. a massive pirate phase because well, yeah, I, worshipped the right the, I worshipped <laughs> the first uh, Pirates of the Caribbean it's great. movie. It's a great it's movie. It's so good. It's so good. Um, so it's hard, for me, it's hard for me to not choose pirate under the understanding that I'm not there for a long time, but I'm there for a good one. That being, <laughs> that being said uh i don't know your ninja argument's making a lot of sense so, so maybe i'm gonna flip over to that uh, yeah i mean just batman's batman's a ninja um i will say is it john williams that does the score for the pirates movies yes i mean yes. if john williams is gonna score me as a pirate i'll be a pirate like <laughs> that, that almost <laughs> makes it worthwhile that those songs are amazing it's All so right. sad what happened to that franchise though oh yeah i don't even i think i watched the second one and part of the third one and then i was out i just <laughs> i didn't even watch them anymore 
Honestly, I, I made this argument. Other than the first Pirates movie, I don't think that Johnny Depp has made a good movie in over 20 years. Wow. Just, just period. I haven't seen enough Johnny Depp movies to dispute you, but but that, exactly. Sounds, exactly. that sounds crazy. Right, and you watch good movies. That's why you haven't seen them. Um, <laughs> all right, Devin Johnson said, thoughts on this potential Suns offseason? Uh, one, draft a guard, uh, Ball, Hayes, or Halliburton. Two, clear cap space. And three, re-sign Aaron Baines and sign a wing. So Jeremy Grant, Davis Bertans, Maurice Harkless, Rondé Harless-Jefferson, players like that. Um, that's pretty good. <laughs> Uh, it's not. It's not terrible. That's that's pretty Sounds good. Sounds dope. Sounds yeah. dope. We are on the same wavelength. Um, I think this speaks to my point at the very beginning of this episode that you don't need. First of all, this you know the free agent class sucks. So like, what all star are you going to acquire in the first place? You don't need to rip your hair out of your head if you don't get Oladipo. There are good guys uh, to be had in free agency. The right type of role players, but. Key word, it has to be the right type of role player. And I think for the Suns, that means taking these skills that they've become decent at um, and elevating them to an elite point where any guy that I want the Suns uh, to sign this year, kind of as I circle guys on my list for, for this free agent scouting that I will begin doing at some point before free agency starts, they have to be elite at something. Um, preferably they're well-rounded, but they have to be elite at something. And so Davis Bertans, that makes a ton of sense. He's, you know, arguably the best shooter out there that the Suns could potentially get. He's like, you know, what Dario Sarge was supposed to be for the Suns, but an actual good, consistent stretch forward that would uh, make their bench offense that much better. Um, Jeremy Grant, an elite uh, kind of athletic player. I mean, he can play the rim running position a little bit. He can get out and transition and run with a guy like Ricky Rubio, um, but he can also defend. He can hold his ground against multiple positions. So both of those guys fit the bill. They're, th- they're the perfect type of role players that I think you would want to sign to this team, and they would um, they would definitely make uh, your team better. The one thing I will say is you're now, once again, relying on a rookie or a young player as your backup point guard and that's a problem yeah but but if any of those it is a problem but you know ball hayes and halliburton are not ty jerome and elliot kobo they're yeah, just not fair they're they're not fair you know but- there, there's definitely a level of separation there even if people are want to call this a weak class those three uh are are really good polished playmakers for their age and there would be a learning curve but if there's anyone you want them to learn behind it's ricky rubio and and I have no doubt in my mind that they could eclipse those other guys like Elliot Kobo and Ty Jerome instantly. Yeah, yeah, I, and I think you're, I think you're absolutely right about that. But I, what I will say about this is, they're still rookies that are playing point guard, and that means that that they rarely do things to win. Um, John Morant was a, a rarity with the NBA. What he did in his rookie season was actually kind of fascinating, and I think uh, maybe won't be talked about enough because of the way this weird season ended. Um, it's very difficult to do that. So, and you know, it's just, it's an interesting, it's an interesting one. I just think that maybe you don't make the playoffs in that case, or maybe they just don't play that much and you just rely on Devin Booker to do more of those point Booker minutes. But, uh, three more, three more. Corin Titty said, uh, <laughs> what about Fred Van Vliet and or Serge Ibaka? Uh, whenever um, the next off season happens, would you move, uh, someone to try and make room for Fred in particular? Uh, I'm kind of, I'm kind of fascinated with the idea of Fred Van Vliet still. I just, well, oh, I just, I really like those, those diehard listeners of the timeline podcast may recall two years ago, I think our third or fourth episode ever was our free agency episode. Cause we started this podcast two years ago in May. 
Yeah. Uh, and and the day after Aiton was drafted, and and both of us had to pick one free agent that we really really wanted Ryan McDonough to target, um, and I picked Fred Van Vliet. Do you remember who you wanted? No, I don't. You called it. You called exactly what happened. Oh, that's right. You I said, said I want. You said I want Trevor Reza, on a but I want deal. a short term one yeah. year deal, like the Sixers at the time gave to JJ Redick, and that's exactly what happened. So Ryan yeah. McDonough was listening to you. I still wish that would have worked out, but. But it did work out. It 100% worked out. Got Kelly Oubre. <laughs> well, yeah, it, it did work out, I guess, because we got Kelly Oubre in a I mean, roundabout way. Part of way. the idea just, of it is that I wish Trevor Reza had, had showed out yeah. for the Suns a little bit more. In, well, in, I mean, I think if, if, if Trevor Reza was like really what he could have been, it's what Kelly Oubre was. So I think in, in a weird sense, it still did work out. But um, obviously, out. you're a big fan of Fred Van Vliet, and I think oh, he's proven himself yeah. a little bit more after you said that. Yeah, uh, so, you know? so yeah, I was big into Van Vliet at the time. I'm still big into Van Vliet, but I'm also a big Rubio defender now. And it's like, so, you know, you, you said, you, would you move someone to try and make room for Fred? Well, you're talking about Rubio. <laughs> you well, can't, how, how Fred Van Vliet's not taking, he's not taking a backup role. And how would you Rubio. feel if the Suns, tra- if the Suns uh, used their cap space to sign Fred Van Vliet and then traded Ricky Rubio to Orlando for Aaron Gordon? Uh... Yeah, I don't that it's kind of a fascinating thing to think about, right? Yeah, it's kind of interesting. It's <laughs> it's funny because when you put Aaron Gordon in the context of like the Suns should trade Kelly Oubre for Aaron yeah, Gordon. No. Like that's stupid. Yeah. That's fucking stupid. And I wish people would stop saying that. Trading Rubio for Gordon, yeah, maybe it works. <laughs> yeah. Maybe uh, it works. But, but I think but, Fred Van Vliet is a really good fit next to Devin Booker for the record. If you're gonna okay, so this is a weak free agent class, but if you're gonna blow all your money on one person would you rather sign Van Vliet and trade Flip Rubio for Aaron Gordon or just keep Ricky Rubio and sign like Christian Wood? I, I would argue that the latter is better. Yeah, yeah, I think you might be right. Yeah, I, I like Christian Wood more, his skill set better uh, next to DeAndre Ayton. I just, I do kind of wonder, and I, I know this is like my catchphrase now, but maybe is Christian Wood a center <laughs> at some point in his career? Like the <laughs> best, kind of is, to best yeah. optimize <laughs> what We're he gonna does. We're going to hear you say that about every like six, seven and up player. I just, from now well, on. it's true. That could be the future of the NBA for a lot of these players. And, and, uh, yeah, I just wonder. And and you know what? Maybe it doesn't matter ultimately because if he can play next to Aiden, he plays minutes next to Aiden, and then you stagger them a little bit and you have him play center when Aiden's off the court and you have Aiden play center when he's you know off the court and then you close the game with them together or whatever works best in those particular games. But it's just something that I, uh, that I wonder. And you know what? I haven't fully dove into the Christian Wood film here, so I think I, 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 my opinion on him is still a little wide open here. I will be but starting just very soon. All right, next one. Bred Bilberg said, uh, moving forward past this season, would you rather, I think this is a fascinating question, would you rather have the Suns roster or the Mavericks roster? What well, do you think? Don't do that to me. <laughs> Why do you think this is a fascinating question? Uh, here's what I will say. I think it's actually kind of, let me bring up, I have to bring this up because I should have done this earlier. The Dallas Mavericks uh, have a lot of players on their team that are not signed uh, on their team going forward. Obviously, they have two major ones, though. Um, and that, of course, would be Luka Doncic and Kristaps Porzingis. And the sort of the argument will be then, do you think the combination of Luka Doncic and Kristaps Porzingis, keeping in mind that Kristaps Porzingis 
just had a major injury and could be someone who could be susceptible to those types of injuries going forward. Uh, and then Devin Booker, DeAndre, and, and then you can throw in uh, Mikhail Bridges, of course, going forward. And then if you mm-hmm. want to count him, Kelly Oubre, because I could easily re-sign Kelly Oubre going forward. Uh, that's what makes it interesting for me. Uh, I'm not sure, uh, looking at, at that, what, what, what I would pick. I think that Luka Doncic is the best, likely going to be the best player out of all of them, if not already the best player, just, just looking at his current season. Uh, and that makes it a little easy to choose the Dallas Mavericks going forward. But I mean, they're, they're paying Tim Hardaway Jr. $18.9 million next year. They have yeah. Dwight Powell signed for 11 million over the next three years. It's just, I don't know. It's actually, I just, I just found it kind of an interesting thing. I think at first glance, I think I would pick the Mavericks just because of the absolute peak of Luka Doncic and what he could do. But if, exactly. all, if all of a sudden, uh, Chris Stapps Porzingis tears his ACL again and you're and you're committed to him with a massive contract, that's a different conversation. So I just, it's interesting for that reason. I Look, I don't like KP that much, but the Mavericks had already won 40 games this year. They were on pace for, you know, in the lower 50s in Luka Doncic's second season. Until we see, maybe it's an unfair argument, but until we see any sustained success out of Phoenix like that, it, it's just hard to bet on the future of Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton as much as I do believe in them over Luka Doncic, who has a legitimate chance to be a top 30 player of all time. Yeah, like an MVP, yeah. Like like a real like a real MVP. I mean, that's that's playing GM on easy mode Yeah. if you have Luka Doncic. You have yeah. Luka Doncic, and I don't care if you've made a couple of stupid financial decisions. At that point, you can just go out, you can use your mid-level exception every year and sign a role player. Fill your team with role players. If you have Luka Doncic, who the fuck cares? You're yeah. winning minimum 55 games, which yeah. is maybe all we're ever going to get to with Booker and Aiden anyway. Who knows? Yeah. But but I'm saying like your floor with just Luka Doncic is already so absurdly high, and your ceiling is unbelievably high if you're a smart GM. So my my answer is easy. Well, I do want to say, though, just for the record, Chris Apps Porzingis is really fucking good. Like really, really, really good. And if he can get back to what he was doing and he started to at the end of the season, he's like a legitimate two way player at that position in a way that very, very, very few players are. We're talking Joel Embiid level two way player, except that he plays a more modern brand of basketball than Joel Embiid does. So I think just if he can, if this works out for them, it's going to be really good. Like really, mm-hmm. really good. Uh, so I just wanted to say that cause I did, I did kind of, I kind of hedged my bets with Chris Stapps a little, but I just, there was a time where I was desperate for the Suns to try to trade for him when there was the rumors that they were going to, which was a trade centered around Josh Jackson, which can you imagine if that had happened? I mean, it was, it's possible <sighs> had that happened that the Suns would be Devin Booker, Chris Stapps, Przingis, and Luka Doncic right now on the team together, which is kind of crazy to think about. Yeah, we can't really frame history in those terms, I guess. Oh, of I course. Mean. I know, but it's fun to picture. Last question. Do you think that Cam's John- Cam Johnson's role uh, can or should be greatly expanded? Um, and he gave a comparison to J.J. Redick in coming seasons. I think J.J. Redick is an interesting one because J.J. Redick did actually come off the bench uh, for the Pelicans this last season. And their roles kind of were similar, other than the fact that when you have J.J. Redick on the court, you're just constantly running plays for him, which they didn't really do for Cam Johnson. And I do think, in general, just from a quick perspective on that, they should run more plays for Cam Johnson, (laughs) just period. We've we've both said that. Um, I was saying that a lot in the middle of the season, that I wanted Monty to start running off-ball 
um, plays, uh, increasingly using screens that that make use of Cam's abilities and allow him to run off ball. I don't think he's as agile as J.J. Redick, and I think maybe for Suns fans, that's a bit of an unreasonable expectation because J.J. Redick is like kind of the best guy at doing that in the history of the game. I mean, if not the best, he's like top 10. Like that's how good he is at, at, at kind of his off-ball movement. Um, the trade-off that Cam has being a 6'9 guy, he can shoot over anyone, but I don't know if he has that agility. That being said, there's definitely yeah. a whole lot of stuff in Cam's arsenal, a lot of potential uh, that's still untapped. You don't, this is not the type of guy, plenty of guys in the NBA, you can stick in a corner and they shoot 35 to 40% from deep. Cam is not that guy. Cam is at the level of shooter where you can um, substantially increase the gravity in your sets, create more space for other guys, have him run off screens, shoot off movement, and still expect him to shoot in the upper 30s to 40% from three-point range. That's a special level of shooter. And it's something that, yeah, I do think the Sun should recognize, and I do think they should be expanding his role. And and they will. He was a rookie. Like a hundred percent. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not saying it's that Monty should. You know, we should be up in arms over this or anything. I'm just saying it definitely is something that I think we're all looking for uh, next year. And the player that you should be looking at if you want to talk about what Cam Johnson can do is Davis Bertans, because uh, they're closer to the same size now. Whether or not Cam can play power forward in the future uh, is a question mark. But Davis didn't early in his career either. He was a three, so we'll see. Uh, but that's more the type of player as far as movement. Because you're right. I think that J.J. Redick, his agility and his ability to move off ball is one of the most underrated parts of what he does. Just the conditioning to be able to move the amount that he does is insane. Uh, at one point, I think he was running more than any player in the NBA uh, when he played for the Clippers. He just because just he's constantly moving. And, and that's they track that. So that's a proven statistic. Um, so, you know, that, that is an underrated thing. Now, whether or not Cam Johnson can do that, I think you err on saying that he can't yet. Uh, but doing something like Davis Bertans did this last season on one of the best offensive teams in the Washington Wizards, I think it's more possible for, for, for him. So let's see what they do next season. That could be interesting. Uh, thank you to everyone who sent us questions. You got anything else to say before we end this one, Sam? Nope. Just echoing your thoughts. Thank you uh, so much, guys. If you... Um, our Redditor as well, um, I, I will reiterate that we're definitely going to hit you guys up for questions at some point. Probably wait a little bit, but we'll do it again soon. Yeah. It's always fun. All right. Thanks, everyone. We'll be de- we'll be back next week again. I think we're going to try to get back on a regular <laughs> weekly <laughs> podcast schedule. Uh, so we'll be, we'll be back next week again. Well, hey, if you haven't noticed, this is uh, you'll see on your podcast feed, this is episode 99 for oh, us no. all time. So uh, we haven't really thought about what we want to do for the big, uh, the big 100, but you guys have any ideas toss them our way yep yep sugar ray leonard roberto duran marvelous marvin Hagler, and thomas hearns legends whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.